0: Well, good morning, everybody. As Chad mentioned, we're in a series that we're calling Impact, and you may be wondering, why are we working our way through First John if we're in a series called Impact? Well, the reason is, as you probably realized by now, if not, hopefully you will soon, First John is all about three evidences, truth, life, and love, and those three things are the way that God impacts our lives. You come to know Christ by realizing the truth and then the Christian life is growing in understanding that truth, living a life evidenced by the gospel, living out the themes of the gospel and loving one another. So as we connect with God and are impacted by God, those three things become real in us and those are the same things that we then extend and God uses us to spread truth, life and love to others. Well, this morning, we're coming to a section in 1 John in chapter 4, and this section is all about love. In fact, I'm going to read the verses to you, and I was going to say, see if you can count how many times love's mentioned, but I'm guessing you'll get lost before that. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to 1 John chapter 4. You can use your phone and iPad, whatever you want, or you can actually have old school Bible in front of you. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, and I'll read through verse at the end of chapter 21. So here we go. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sisters is a liar. But whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Sound like a broken record? Like over 25 times, depending on how the word gets translated, over 30 times. God is love. We are to love. Love one another. If you're not loving, you're not loved by God. Love, love, love. Well, what we're going to do this morning is to look at that progression and notice what we've been saying. As we connect and are impacted by God, love is sourced in God. Love isn't something we drum up drum up in ourselves and then extend to other people. We experience God's love as we connect and are impacted by him. Then we are channels or conduits to allow God to love other people through us. That's the progression. But we're gonna take kind of a circuitous route, a roundabout route to understand love today. Because I think it's pretty important for us to tie together a couple themes that John has been writing about and you may be thinking about, how in the world does God's love invade our lives and then through us spread to other people? That's the question we're gonna wrestle with. Now we're gonna do that by looking at two advocates. Two advocates. Now we've already looked at one advocate from chapter 2. And so some of you may remember this verse all the way from chapter 2. John writes, "My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one." So obviously the first advocate is Jesus. Now, advocate, I mean we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but it's kind of a weird word unless you're a social worker or an attorney, What is an advocate? Well, advocates do a number of things, but two things that all advocates do. Number one, advocates stand in our place and advocates speak in our place. So uh, think about a social worker. They stand in our place, right? They kind of represent us. When you give power of attorney to someone, they stand in your place, they speak in your place. So picture it like this. There's a labyrinth of complexity, right? the safety net system, whether it's in a hospital, whether it's in some other section of government, there's a labyrinth of complexity. Advocates kind of know that stuff, right? They then stand as our representatives, stand in our place, speak in our place, and navigate the labyrinth of complexity on our behalf. Attorneys are advocates, right? You ever notice the labyrinth of complexity with the legal system? I mean, it's like almost a nightmare, right? You need to be a specialist, not just in the medical world, but in the legal world. Attorneys stand in our place, speak in our place as our advocates. You ever notice if you're watching a courtroom drama, if you're ever in a court, but if you're watching one on TV, when the judge says, will the defendant please stand? The defendant and the attorney stand, right? They're kind of one. When the defendant is asked to speak, often the attorney speaks. The attorney is his or her representatives. The attorney speaks on his behalf or her behalf, stands in his or her behalf. And another way to think about it, advocates are like fiduciaries. I wasn't thinking about that. We have a Bible study Friday mornings and one of the people that attend said, yeah, an advocate would be kind of like a fiduciary, right? A fiduciary represents someone and puts their interest ahead of his or her own interest. That's what a fiduciary does. And that's why it's so important and a little bit of a risk to serve as someone's fiduciary. You stand in that person's place. You represent that person, but you've got to put their interest ahead of your own in order to do that. That's what advocates do. Advocates stand in our place, speak in our place. Advocates represent advocates others' interest ahead of themselves. That kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus, our advocate, stands in our place, speaks in our place. We could go further. Dies in our place, puts our interests ahead of his own. Jesus, our first advocate. That's what advocates do. Jesus, like the perfect advocate, right? Standing, speaking, dying, putting our interest ahead of his own. Jesus, the perfect representative, the loving, gracious savior who stands, speaks, dies in our place, putting our interest ahead of his own. Well, that's kind of the first advocate. Well, where's the second advocate show? Well, for this, you need a little bit of background. Maybe you've heard this before, but if not, you need to be reminded. The Apostle John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The Apostle John also wrote the Gospel of John, right? Now, just a little bit of traditional history here. The Apostle John was really old when he wrote the Gospel and the Epistles and Revelation. Really old guy. He settles kind of in his retirement years in Ephesus, Now, you may remember, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, Well, after Paul's letter's delivered and Paul starts the church, John kind of goes there. Well, you might guess, if an apostle shows up and he's kind of hanging out around church, all of a sudden, he's gonna be like the center of attention. So John becomes like the pastor of all the little churches around Ephesus. And tradition says that John wrote the gospel of John from Ephesus. So, you know, he's semi-retired, doing a lot of writing, hanging out. Well, my guess is, it's not too far-fetched, John would also be talking to the congregations about about 1 John and John. Don't you think John would have read sections of the gospel to them? Don't you think the themes of John would have been themes that the churches are playing with and they're thinking about and they're being impacted by. John's connecting with the churches. He's impacting them. And the gospel of John comes before the letters and John talks in First John, uh, in John about the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you were to read, you could do a lot worse. If you would read John, gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, you will discover lots of material about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is one of John's main themes and John would have talked a lot about that at the churches. Okay, now, what does that have to do with our advocate stuff? Well, check this out from uh, the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, right? And he will give you another advocate. Huh, there's that word again to help you and be with you forever. Now, we've already said Jesus is the first advocate. He explains that in 1 John. Well, now in the gospel of John, he's using that same language, advocate. But now clearly, and verse 26 tells us, the second advocate is the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus, the first advocate, the Holy Spirit, the second advocate. What do advocates do? Stand in our place, speak in our place, work at, put our interests ahead of their own. Kind of sounds like what the Holy Spirit does too. Here's a kind of a crass way to think about it. Jesus is our advocate on the outside, right? The Spirit is our advocate on the inside. The Spirit's working on the inside. Now, if you were to read those chapters in the Gospel of John that I'm sure the churches in Ephesus would have been familiar with, you would discover that the Holy Spirit, our advocate on the inside, essentially does three things. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he reveals and allows us then to recognize sin. Do you ever notice when you think about sin, someone talks to you about sin, it can kind of fall on deaf ears. You don't really believe them. But every once in a while, you're you know, really attentive to it. You feel deeply about it. You know that you're guilty. That's something the Holy Spirit does, right? The Holy Spirit opens our eyes, the eyes of our mind and heart, to recognize, right? He reveals sin to us. But the Holy Spirit represents Jesus. And John makes that perfectly clear. The Holy Spirit invades our lives. He does not draw attention to himself. He calls our attention and focuses it on Jesus. In fact, I would say it this way. If you are drawn to your sin without moving to Jesus for forgiveness, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals sin in order to move us to Jesus as he represents Jesus. If the Holy if somebody if you're if you're drawn not just to your sin, but if you're thinking the Holy Spirit's drawing attention to himself, that's not the Spirit. The Spirit brings to mind everything Jesus taught, everything Jesus is about. He reveals sin to us, he represents Jesus, and here's an interesting one he reproduces Jesus in us. Just like uh, when when Mark read um, Galatians 2.20, right? He reproduces Jesus in us. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. Jesus lives in us. It's the Spirit who lives in us. And he reproduces those character qualities of Jesus in us that then get extended to those around us. Last uh, Sunday morning, uh, we're in the back and we always gather, you know, the text come and the people in the band and a couple elders come and we pray together and think about the service. And occasionally, some will, someone will have kind of a devotional thought. Well, uh, last week before the service, Wayne, who was leading that morning, he shared um, a devotional thought about the woman who, uh, who had a problem with bleeding for 12 years. Now, Mark's gospel tells us she suffered much at the hand of doctors, right? And so this woman is in a helpless, hopeless situation. She comes to Jesus somehow thinking, if I just touch Jesus or his garment, maybe I can be healed. She touches Jesus and immediately she's healed. Now, often as you read through the gospels, you discover that God often uses physical problems, maladies, illnesses, ailments, to draw us to spiritual problems, ailments, maladies. Well, here's a perfect example of how the spirit works. This woman knew she was in a hopeless, helpless situation. She went to the medical experts and they could do nothing for her. She then goes to Jesus for healing and finds healing. Now for spiritual ailments and problems, that's exactly what the spirit does. The spirit is the one that reminds us, reveals sin to us and reveals our hopeless, helpless situation. It's not getting any better and it can't get better unless there's an invasion from the outside. Not an invasion from some other source. Jesus, the spirit leads to Jesus. The woman goes to Jesus for healing and the woman is healed. So the second advocate speaks on our behalf, stands in our place, puts his interest behind our interest, reveals sin, our hopeless, helpless situation, points us to Jesus, and then reproduces Jesus in us. And that's uh, coming back to the theme of love. This is how we love. We don't love by thinking about how in the world can I really love these people, We love by recognizing both advocates lead in love. Both of the advocates lead in love. As we read the passage, love is sourced in God. We love because God first loved us. That love then is mediated through Jesus to us. We experience that love. And then we love others with that love that the spirit has invaded in us. That's how the process works. And so many of you know... uh, The fruit of the Spirit, right, from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first one, right? So what the Spirit is producing in us is love. Jesus perfectly loves. We then love as the Spirit produces and reproduces Jesus in us. When we say what we do at Calvary Church is just continue what Jesus started, that's the theme of this passage in 1 John. It starts with God. Jesus then comes and he displays God's awesome love for us. We experience, the spirit applies it to our lives. He then points us to Jesus, reproduces Jesus in us, and allows us then to go and continue that message outside. So I was thinking, uh, well, that's good. Go love people, right? You probably heard that these last few weeks. But what does love look like? So I thought, well, you know, we could read some of the verses from 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking, but you know that too, right? And that's just a description. So um, I was reading something uh, the other day, and here was a phrase that kind of stuck out in my mind. The person says, if you love, you will put their preferences ahead of your own. If you love, you will sacrifice your plans for the other person you love. If you love, you will put some of your possessions into play for the benefit of the other person. We talk about preferences, right? Things that we really want, things that we really desire. Love is putting our preferences on the back burner and others' preferences on the front burner. Putting our plans and our agenda on the back burner, sacrificing them as we live, fulfilling the plans of someone else. And taking some of our possessions, which is really our life, right? You go to work, it's time and energy, that's all we've got. You generate money which, with which you buy possessions. When you put them into play for the benefit of others, possessions, plans, preferences. Three ways to love people. In fact, if you think about it for a minute, you realize if you're not sacrificing your preferences for someone else, if you're not sacrificing your plans for someone else, and you never put your possessions into play for the benefit of someone else, you're not loving. Isn't that what our advocates do? Our well-being ahead of theirs giving all that they have for our benefit, taking their plans and their comfort, sacrificing them for our eternal health and well-being. Chad mentioned a number of ways in the next few weeks we have opportunity to do that as a church, but I'd be willing to bet if you would make that your prayer request this week, God would show you one way every day plans, possessions, preferences for the benefit of someone else rather than the benefit of yourself. Wouldn't it be amazing if every one of us committed this week to at least one act every day of putting our preferences on the back burner, our plans sacrificed for someone else? our possessions in play to benefit someone else. That is how we love and how Calvary Church could grow in a church that loves its own community and the larger community around. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that as we um, gather, we realize that our advocates are at work and in play. Jesus, the first advocate, becomes our atoning sacrifice. For our benefit, he sacrifices his own. The Holy Spirit comes, invades our lives with grace and love, and then energizes us and reproduces that so that we can in turn love others and benefit others with that same gospel. Lord, I pray that we would not be end users of all this love and grace, but may we just be conduits that experience this love and grace that Jesus establishes and flows from the Father. And may we be open vessels that allow it to flow through us to touch others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.